1 Corinthians chapter 4, where in just a moment I'd like to read the passage of Scripture that will be the foundation for today's message. While you're turning there, let me say thank you for inviting me back. Uh, two people came up to me this morning. One said, are you back to preach again today? And I said, yes, I am. And the other one said, are you back again? So I realize that many of you love Pastor Ryan and want to hear him at every opportunity, but he's invited me today, and so we'll do the best we can. Pastor Ryan is in a series of messages with you on disciple-making, and he asked me to preach a message entitled, Who Are Disciple-Makers? Or Who Makes Disciples? And then I arrive and discover that he has placed the answer to my sermon's question on giant banners in the auditorium. May we read this banner together? Are you ready? We are disciple-makers. So that's the message. I hope you've enjoyed it. But like any good Baptist preacher, I can now fill up 30 more minutes. So let's stay together in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. A number of years ago, while I was serving as chaplain for the San Francisco Giants, I was walking through the ballpark when one of the security guards called out to me, Father, do you have a minute? Now, Baptist ministers are not typically called Father. But I knew this security guard because of the relationship I was building with him, and I knew he wanted to talk with me about a spiritual matter. And from his church training and tradition, the leader was Father. And so I walked over and had a conversation with him, but in him describing me with that title, he introduces one of the images of the New Testament for those of us who are responsible for being disciple-makers. And that is, he introduces the idea of disciple-making being like parenting. So this morning, while the question is, who are disciple makers, and you've already answered the question by looking on the banner at the front of the auditorium, I now want to teach you what it means for you to be a disciple maker by showing you a passage of scripture that uses parenting as an analogy for disciple making and give you some charge this morning about your responsibility to fulfill Jesus's disciple making mandate. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let's break into the text at verse 9. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. <clears throat> we are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you, for you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus 
just as I teach everywhere in every church. Notice verses 14, 15, and 16 introduce the parenting motif or the parenting analogy to describe the relationship of Paul as a disciple-maker among the Corinthians. He says, beginning in verse 14, you are my dear children. And he says in verse 15, I became your father. And then in verse 17, he says, I'm sending Timothy to you. He's my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. And so in this passage, there is this analogy, this motif, this description, if you will, of what it means to be a person helping other persons in the process of becoming disciples, as Paul did these Corinthians, and now I want to teach you what that means for you this morning. Number one, spiritual parenting is a reproductive responsibility. Look in verse 15. Spiritual parenting is a reproductive responsibility. In verse 15, Paul writes, For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. The word instructor is actually the word pedagogue, uh, from which we get the word pedagogy, which is a technical word used in the educational field to describe the teaching process. A pedagogue in the first century world, though, was a special slave, a household slave, brought into the home to educate children. In other words, it was an early version of home schooling, led by a pedagogue. And so Paul says, you may have had countless instructors or countless pedagogues or countless teachers or instructors in Christ, but he says, you've only had one father. He, described, he writes that in the last phrase. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul says this. Many people have taught you, but because I came into your life, you actually became a Christian. I became your father in the gospel. Do you have favorite teachers in your past? I certainly do. I'm in my 60s now. And I can still remember the names of my elementary school teachers, Mrs. Coleman, Mrs. Bettis, Mrs. Hutto, Mr. Warner. And then I can go into middle school and high school and tell you the names of teachers like Mrs. Washburn and Coach Villers and Mr. Blackaby and uh, others who shaped my life in profound ways because I had many teachers who did much for me. But I only had one father. And in my case... I never met my biological father. Excuse me, that's not true. I have no memory of my biological father. We left him when I was three years old, and I never heard from him or saw him again in my lifetime. You might say, well, that's not much of an influence on you. You named by a, a, a list of teachers who made a great influence in your life. That's absolutely true. But I have a father that I have no relationship with and that had no impact on my life in a direct way growing up, except for that one thing. Without him, I wouldn't be here. So Paul says, you may have many teachers, but remember, you had one father. A reproductive responsibility is at the core of parenting. And listen, a reproductive responsibility is at the core of disciple-making. Now, I say this because in today's church, there is a truncated and, frankly, erroneous definition of discipleship that is often used. The erroneous definition of discipleship is 
Discipleship is turning weak Christians into strong Christians. Let me say it again. An erroneous definition of discipleship is turning weak Christians into strong Christians. Why is that an erroneous definition of discipleship? Well, I'll give you a couple of examples to help you see why it is. First of all, if that's the true definition of discipleship, no disciples can be made in obedience to the command of Jesus where there are no Christians, no weak Christians. If discipleship is turning weak Christians into strong Christians, then there's no point in sending a missionary where there are no Christians to make disciples as Jesus instructed because he can't do the definition. He can't turn any weak Christians into strong Christians because there aren't any weak Christians. Are you following me this morning? Let me give you another uh, uh, illustration of why this is a wrong definition. Suppose that this morning we closed the membership of First Baptist and I said, my job is to make of you disciples. And every one of you is in some relative condition of weakness as a Christian and I'm going to spend the rest of your lifetime turning you into a strong Christian. You say, that sounds pretty good. No, I just announced the death of First Baptist Church San Francisco. Because when all of you reach maturity and all of you reach the end of life and all of you pass on into heaven, the church will be empty because I've turned all the weak Christians into all these strong Christians and they all went to heaven, very happy, strong Christians. This is why discipleship cannot be defined as the teaching role in this text. Paul said, you have many teachers and teaching is good. Please don't misunderstand me. I believe in the teaching ministry of the church. I am the president of a seminary. I believe in taking weaker Christians and turning them into stronger Christians, and I believe in taking less mature leaders and turning them into more mature leaders. Paul says there's nothing wrong with the teaching ministry of the church. It's important, but it's not equated entirely to discipleship. He said discipleship has a reproductive aspect. I was your father in the gospel, not just your teacher. I was the, reason, uh, the, I was the means by which you came to faith in Jesus. So let me give you the better definition of discipleship. Discipleship is turning non-Christians into growing Christians. Discipleship is not taking weak Christians and making them strong Christians. It's taking non-Christians and helping them become growing Christians. And that means discipleship always begins among people who do not yet know Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, go make disciples, he said, go to people who are not yet my followers, deliver my message, help them to come to faith in me, and then help them mature through a process of active growth over really the rest of their lives, and so that non-Christians become growing Christians as the true and best definition of discipleship. And isn't this really what parenting is like, and that's why the analogy is used? Parenting begins with a reproductive act, as discipleship begins with a born-again experience of a person becoming a follower of Jesus. And then parenting continues with a long period of training, maybe about 20 years, we hope, of taking a child to a place where they are a growing, mature adult. And then we move into a launch phase where we send them out to make a difference in the world in some significant way. Isn't that what it means in church that we are making disciples? We are helping people to come to faith in Christ, conception. We are training them and developing them and maturing them through the teaching ministry of our church. And then we are launching them into ministry and mission and activity and, and, and opportunity and responsibility to help us make a difference in the world. Spirit, a discipleship, 
spiritual parenting is a reproductive responsibility. Second, spiritual parenting require, is a demand, or excuse me, demands vulnerability. Spiritual parenting demands vulnerability. Now, back to the text. Move up with me to verse 9. Because Paul introduced this section I've been preaching on from 14 through 17 about spiritual parenting with an introduction that started in verse 9 that describes what this is all about. First of all, he says, leaders are on display. Look at verse 9. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place. This is powerful imagery in the first century world. In the first century, when one kingdom would conquer another, particularly the Romans, they would bring back the captured people and the captured material and particularly the captured leader from the defeated country, enemy, or army. And when they arrived back in Rome, what would they do? A long procession, a parade, if you will, led by the conquering general, trailed after him his soldiers, led by the officers and then the infantry, and then after them would come the defeated army and all that had been captured. But who would be at the very last of the line, taking all of the abuse for all of that, uh, for all the people gathered at the parade? The king, the leader, the general of the ones who'd been conquered. Last place. That's the image that's in mind here when Paul writes this. God has put us in last place. We're at the end of the line. We're on public display out there where everybody can see us. And then he describes it even more by saying we're a spectacle. Continue. Rest of verse 9. We have become a spectacle to the world. The word spectacle is actually the Greek word theatron. Does that sound familiar to you in an English language word? Theater. Paul says, we've been made a theater, a spectacle. We've been put on public display for everyone to see what we're doing. This is part of his introduction to what it means to be involved in discipleship through spiritual parenting. Parenting puts you on display and causes you to engage others on behalf of these children that you're trying to reach and teach and launch. You don't think so? If you're a parent here today, doesn't it just make you happy when the school calls and says we need to see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock about your child? You know you're about to be put on public display. You're about to be publicly held accountable for something that your child did or said or is involved with. You're about to be put on public display. My children have been leaders and are leaders today throughout their lives, and particularly in grade school, middle school, and high school, they were involved in various kinds of leadership responsibilities. Class president, football captain, team captain and other sports, these kinds of things. That sounds good until they don't do so well in public. I've made my trips to the coaches' offices. I've made my trips to the principal's offices. I've made my trips to visit parent, or excuse me, teachers on parent-teacher night. I've cringed when my children have said or done things that thrust me into the public eye of having to deal with what they had done. Have you ever been there, anybody here in this room, talking about what I'm talking about? Oh, no, you got the perfect little children, never do anything wrong, never draw any attention to themselves. Listen, 
I have a child who once got crossways with another girl in kindergarten Sunday school and slugged her in the gut to get her attention and get her to do what was right. We had to go take, I had to go find out about that, get my son, drive over to their house that afternoon, apologize to these first-time visitors to our church, let my son explain to this little girl how he now knew that was an inappropriate response, and then I had to apologize to the father, and we had to try to figure out how to get out of that situation. That's just one. How long do we have? Listen now. Making disciples is like spiritual parenting. If you're really going to get involved in this, now hear me. You're going to have to put yourself out there on behalf of people. Get involved in their lives. And be prepared for them to make some mistakes, say some inappropriate things, disappoint you by their unfaithfulness. But if you're their spiritual parent, you stay with them. Because just like you were important in facilitating their coming to faith in Jesus Christ, now your important responsibility is to train them and launch them, and you have to stay with the task, even if it's difficult and challenging and puts you in a place of vulnerability where you really don't want to be. But that's your responsibility as spiritual parents and disciple makers here at First Baptist. I know. You say, well, I don't really want to do that. I just want to come to church and have Pastor Ryan preach a nice sermon and sing some wonderful songs and then just fade back into the shadows. That is not an option for a disciple-making Christian. Not an option. We're spiritual parents. We have to step up and say, I will get involved with the, the lives of other people. I will get my hands dirty in caring for them and sharing with them and helping them and shaping them. And I will expect every now and then they're going to embarrass me or challenge me or disappoint me or prove unfaithful to what I've tried to teach them. Just like I did with my parents when I was growing up, so in a spiritual sense will these people I'm trying to train do to me. But you still keep stepping out there, being a spectacle, last place in the line if need be, but always willing to be on public display for the benefit of others if that's what it takes to help them become true disciples spiritual parenting demands vulnerability number three spiritual parenting involves sacrifice let's look at the text again for some of the words to describe this first paul writes how christians are held are often held in low esteem start with me in verse 10 paul uses these words we are fools, we are weak, we are dishonored. Drop down to verse 12. We are reviled, we are persecuted, we are slandered. Christians are sometimes held in low esteem. Disciple-making Christians have these words used to describe them. And not only that, Christian ministry of disciple-making is often hard work. Drop back into the text at verse 11 with me. Listen to the description. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We're poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We work with our hands. Paul said spiritual parenting involves sacrifice. This is how we're going to be described if we get involved in this work. We're going to be called fools or weak. We may be dishonored or slandered. We may be thought of as so insignificant we're called garbage. We, we're going to be hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated. 
laboring, working to try to get this done. Listen, I know you'd like for me to be more positive, but I'm just having to be true, truthful with you. Spiritual parenting, disciple-making, is hard work with no pay and little recognition. Line up right here to sign up. Hard work. Disciple-making is you get off work, you grab something quick to eat, and you go to lead a Bible study for people that are trying to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Disciple-making is you don't eat lunch with your friends every day. You make a list of your coworkers who you're not sure are Christians, and you one by one take them everyone to lunch and build relationships with them for the purpose of ultimately sharing the gospel with them. Disciple-making is hard work. It means when you'd like to go home, put your feet up and put on a ball game and forget about the whole world for a couple of hours, you say, no, I'm instead going to invite a friend over who's going to talk my ear off while this game is going on that I'm trying to mentor and shape and develop as a leader because I want this person to step forward in their responsibility at church and they're not going to do it if they don't get more personal time with me. That's what it means to be a person involved in spiritual parenting and disciple making. It means you don't go home after work, you go to Bible study and lead it and help people grow. It means you don't eat lunch by yourself or with your old Christian friends that you see all the time. It means you intentionally reach out and engage with people who do not yet know the gospel. It means that you have to disciple rather than just watch football on Sunday afternoon. It's hard work. It means you set aside some of what you want to do and you involve yourself in what needs to be done to accomplish the task. Isn't this just like parenting? Midnight feeding. What do you tell that little three-month-old baby? Check with me in the morning? No. You're up in the night feeding the baby every two, every three, every four hours. And if you've If you are a parent, you know what I'm about to say is true. One of the greatest days in your life was the first time your child slept through the night. It's like, yes. No night feedings. It also means, as children mature, that you have the incredible opportunity and responsibility to teach them about life, to give them experiences, to take them places, show them things, Help them grow and learn and develop, not just in a formal educational way, but in the way of just learning about life and how it functions. It also means spiritual parenting, or excuse me, parenting also means that you have to stand strong sometimes against your children and say, that's rebellion and we won't tolerate it here. You can't do that. It's going to damage you. I will not permit that in my home because it's going to result in something that will be destructive for you in the long run. You have to stand up and say, no, you can't do that, and I'll fight you on it because I care about you so much. Look. Parenting involves hard work and no pay. You are not getting a a check for what you do as a parent and little recognition. Every now and then, I know your child will just melt your heart by coming home with a little Valentine or a little uh, birthday card or just something sweet they made for you and say, I love you, Mommy. I love you, Daddy. And you think, oh, that'll keep me going for another year. Just a little recognition. I know they'll give you a little. That's why I say parenting is hard work, no pay, and a little recognition. Let me tell you, it's the same way with making disciples. Most disciple makers work hard for no pay. You know, it's normal for a church of your size to have one, two, maybe three paid ministers, about that number, maybe. 
four, maybe two, something like that. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. But they are not the disciple makers of this church. They're the coaches, the equippers, the motivators, the shapers, the trainers. You are the disciple makers. That means most of you are going to work for no pay. Ever. Not a dime. You say, well, if the church has more money, maybe they'll pay us all. No, it won't happen. <laughs> all these things I've described in what it means to work with people and help them come to faith in Jesus Christ, train for a while and launch into being disciple makers with you, all of that is going to come at the cost of hard work, no pay, and a little <laughs> bit of recognition. So that raises a legitimate question. Why would anyone do this? Well, I suppose there's two broad categories of answers. One is obedience. Jesus said to do it. We want to obey him. But there's a second answer, and that is joy. The joy you experience from seeing lives transformed and knowing that you had a hand in it, that you had a hand in it. You know, I'm the parent of three adult children, and I'm proud of each of them in their own unique way and in what they're doing in their lives. And I'm not ashamed to say it. When they have success, I like to stand back and say, I had a part in that. I had a part in that. I don't take credit for their success. They've achieved what they've done on their own. They've worked hard. I'm proud of them. But I do sit back and say, yeah, just a little bit. I feel good about that. But oh, so much more. Oh, so much more. People that I've helped come to faith in Jesus Christ, trained over the years, launched them out in leadership and ministry, I look at their lives and I stand back with a deep sense of joy and satisfaction saying, I had a hand in that. I don't take credit for their success, certainly not their conversion, certainly not their spiritual growth, certainly not what they've accomplished. That's their, their work and I'm grateful for it. But I know, I know, I had a hand in that. Do you have someone in your life that you look at and say, I helped that person to become who they are as a disciple? I helped that person come to faith in Jesus, move along, and now watch what they're doing. I remember when I was first starting out in ministry, uh, I was actually a minister to children in my early days, and there was a man in our church who was a couple of years older than me that was an engineer, also starting out in his career. He one day asked, would you help me to grow more in my faith and learn more what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And I said, yes, I would do that. So every Monday, he would come to the church office, and we would actually uh, talk the daycare ladies into giving us some of the same lunch the children were eating. We were poor back then, okay? I'm just saying we would have eaten anything. So we would, the daycare ladies would give us the soup and the crackers or whatever they were serving, and we would take that to my office, and we would eat that, and we would talk through the Bible together for an hour every Monday uh, at that, uh, oh, oh, in that context. Well, this man now is... An elder in his church owns an engineering firm that's made a consequential difference in his community. A couple of years ago, he ran into me and he said, hey, I just want to tell you something that I want you to know that changed my life. I said, okay. Daycare, break, daycare lunches on Monday. He goes, Jeff, what I learned in those few months we worked together motivated me to become the Christian leader I am today, and I want you to know those little lunches we had, they changed my life. 
That feels good, doesn't it? It feels good. You say, well, I want a story like that. You're going to have to get involved in somebody's life. You're going to have to take the initiative to find someone that you can lead to faith in Jesus and facilitate them growing and help them launch off into ministry. You have to take some initiative to put yourself out there, make yourself vulnerable, become a, spec- uh, become a, 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 a spectacle, uh, be, become like you're in the theater. Uh, be willing to say, I'll, I'll step forward. I'll do it. I'll come out of the shadows. You're going to have to be willing to say, I'll make some sacrifice. I'll set aside some time. I'll set aside some energy. I'll set aside some money. I'll set aside some effort. I will put something into it. And people may think I'm crazy. Revile me, slander me, put me down, call, me, uh, uh, call it a waste of time, whatever. I'll do it no matter what because I know it's, what, it's the right thing to do and it'll bring the joy of seeing these people change into my life a number of years ago as i mentioned at the beginning of the message when i was working with the giants i led a man to faith in jesus a player we didn't talk about it publicly for years because i wanted him to have the opportunity to grow and i was working with him on a discipleship process but now these eight nine years later he's published a book you've seen it probably in the san francisco area it just came out two weeks ago called curveball It's Barry Zito's life story and his testimony of how he met Jesus Christ. In the book, he describes my leading him to faith in Jesus and what that was like. And when he was writing the book, his ghostwriter called me with Barry on the phone and he said this, hey, Jeff, I know I was there when I was saved, (laughs) but I want to be sure I get the story straight. And it was a pretty emotional day, so can, can we read to you or tell you what we've written and you tell us if we got the story right? And They ultimately wound up interviewing me and sending me the story, and I was able to read through it, and they had it exactly right. He remembered it just like it happened. Now he's writing it for public. It's in a book. I can talk about it openly. When that book came to me, when that book came to me, I said, God, thank you. Thank you that one day I showed up And I showed up another day, and another day. And five years after I started working with the Giants, five years, Barry Zito said, do you have a minute to talk? Five years. And God, I thank you that I was in the room that day when he gave his life to you. The joy that brings me is almost hard to describe to you this morning. Paul says it's a, it's, it involves sacrifice. Why do we do it? Well, obviously Jesus said make disciples. We want to obey him. But also because of the joy it brings us when we see lives changed. And while we take no credit, it is permissible to stand in the shadows and say, I had a hand in that. And it feels good. And it was worth it that I was there that day. Then finally, spiritual parenting requires tenacity. In verse 15, Paul says, I was your father. And you can read that story in Acts chapter 18 when Paul introduced the gospel in the city of Corinth and led these Christians to faith in Jesus. Paul then said, I want you to imitate me. Imitation means you've watched me long enough to copy my patterns. And so Paul not only introduced the Corinthians to Jesus, he stayed with them long enough to train them to live for him or to live for Jesus by imitating Paul. In fact, Paul stayed longer in Corinth than any other city. Then Paul continues by saying, now I'm sending you Timothy. He's my son or my child in the Lord, and when he gets there, he's going to help you grow even more. And then if you continue down, I didn't read this, but drop down to verse 19. Then Paul said, 
I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. So do you see the progression of what happened here? Paul said, I came to Corinth and led you to faith in Jesus. I stayed longer with you than I stayed any other place so long that you learned how to follow Jesus by imitating me. And now I'm sending one of my people that I've trained, Timothy, to come and help you grow even more. And then, if the Lord wills, if it all works out, I'm going to come back and see you again. Paul's relationship with the Corinthians was, was one that was ongoing, long-term, reflected a lifestyle choice he had made and a responsibility for him that he had assumed. Parenting requires tenacity, as does disciple-making. Now, I'm an old guy now. I've got not only three children, but I have five grandchildren. Pictures? Five grandchildren. You'd think, well, your parenting days are over. But I still enjoy it when my children call me. All three do, but particularly my sons call, and they always start a certain kind of conversation with me the same way. Dad, have you got a minute? Yeah, I've got a minute. And then they start telling me about a problem at work, a difficulty in a relationship, a challenge at their church, something going on in their finances, and they say, Dad, got anything to say about this? Any, any, any help you could give me on this one? What an honor. What an honor to have adult children call you and say, Dad, have you got a minute? I've learned that even though I'm now a multi-time, multi-time grandfather, I'm still a parent. The job never ends, does it? You may be thinking, I'll be glad when we get all these disciples made and we can stop talking about this. Well, it's not ever going to happen. It's just not. We are engaged in disciple making like spiritual parents. It requires a lifestyle choice and a life commitment, and it is never going to end. Never going to end. And now, interestingly enough, not only have my three children calling me, but I have scores of pastors across the West United States, like your pastor and others in his age group, who frequently call me and say, Dr. Orge, have you got a minute? Have you got a minute? Because they're asking for me to do what Paul did for the Corinthians, and that is stay with me over the long haul and help me make it to the next step in my growth. First Baptist, my task this morning was to preach on the subject, Who Makes Disciples? pastor gave you the answer we all do i've tried to show you a biblical passage of scripture that uses an analogy parenting to help you understand what it means for you to become more active in this disciple making process and that is my challenge for you this morning that you will say i will step out of the shadows become a bit more vulnerable put myself out there Take on the task in spite of how much of a sacrifice or a difficulty it may entail. I will do it out of obedience, yes, but also because of the joy that I anticipate coming by the lives changed through my disciple-making ministry. Let's pray together.